Do you want to be trusted? Do you want to be in relationships where you know that other people trust you? You, you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you're in a room, when you're, when you're with a group of people, you don't have to pretend to be somebody else. You don't have to worry that you say just the right thing. You don't have to be worried about what are they going to think of that because they give you the benefit of the doubt. In other words, you're connected. Do you love the words like community, connected, belonging, friend, brother, sister, family? Hey, these are my peeps. I'm tight with these dogs. Uh, you... you you have these fast friends, and so you're, I, these are my people. I really am connected with these people. Well, believe it or not, that ties in with conflict. Now, today's a, today's a special day. Today, uh, we have a bunch of people speaking. They're going to come and speak for like five minutes apiece, and all of our elders are going to speak and share with you. I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about. The Bible says... In the book of First Timothy, it's something our elders have been working through. It's where we began to think about, how do we help each other to develop this close-knit, trusting family? It has to do with conflict. The first chapter, he says to Timothy, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he says this, I want you to stay there so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations. Controversial speculations. He's telling you, I want you to stay there and deal with this conflict because they keep having all these controversial speculations. They keep talking about things they don't know about that creates controversy. And he says, rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith, See, so this is what we're after. We want to take the conflict and turn it into God's work, which is by faith. There's a couple of ways you can deal with conflict. One, you can ignore it. You, you're just like, I don't, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want conflict. I don't like that feeling. I want to stay away from it. And what usually happens is you've just taken a bomb and you've set it in your life and it's, got to, it's going to go off. For others, they say, let's confront it. I love conflict. Let's go. Conflict's good. Yeah. But they kind of let the bomb go off right then. And then there's God's way, which you can grow through it. The goal of communication is mutual understanding, not winning. The goal is to hear one another's heart and fight for one another's heart. The result is trust. You see, it is possible to come out of the other side still disagreeing but you've grown in confidence. You've come to know their perspective. You've come to understand that they, they're building their life off truth. They just have a different way of interacting with it that gives you that place to come from. But, but before I go on to the next speak, speaker, I want you to understand that the foundation of what he says is this. The, love, the, the whole aim is love. Love is the aim. In other words, winning Getting to the place where the other person changes their behavior or thinks like you do is not the aim. The aim is love. It's that I'm going to do what's best for you no matter what it costs me. And he says this love comes from three things. One, a pure heart. If I have a pure heart, I don't have a, a hidden agenda. If I have a pure heart, then I want what God wants. And so I'm going to start this by listening to your story. See, I want to hear from you before any of this starts. The second is a good conscience. If you have a good conscience, then, then you're really comfortable with yourself. 
You don't need other people to change because you, you haven't been fooling yourself. You don't have anything to hide. You're not defensive. And so I want to hear your story. That's where we're going to start. I want to hear your story. And then a sincere faith, a faith in Jesus Christ. He's my king. He's my Lord. He's the one that's going to protect me. He's the one who's going to defend me. And guess what? He's the one we both trust in. And so I want to hear your story. And so that's where we start our talk today. After you've heard each other's story, you're ready to, to think. After you've had all that connection, you're ready to, to think. And to get us started on that, Mike Tucci is going to come. Hey, Mike, what do you have to say? That was slick, huh? Um, so the word is think. We're going to give you this, this word, five letters, T-H-I-N-K. And this is a way to think about how to have these controversial conversations. And, and so I get to start with the letter T. So T stands for truthful. And a, a simple working definition for us this morning for that is being truthful is not bending the facts to make your view or their view more favorable. Not bending the facts to make your view more favorable. Um, see, none of us, I don't think, or at least most of us, I wouldn't say, are blatant liars. Uh, but we all have this ability, this tendency, to bend the facts to make our view more palatable. And um, originally, when I came up with this definition, that's all it said, was not bending the facts to make your view more favorable. And then I thought about it, and I said, no, there's, there's another scenario that could be working here, and that is to not bend the facts or to ignore the facts altogether in making the other person's view more favorable. And that would be the situation where you don't even want to confront them with the facts because you're afraid of where the conversation's going to go. You're afraid that it's going to be uncomfortable. I mean, the, the classic example of this, I think, is uh, you have a friend, and that friend is cheating on um, the person uh, in their relationship, a spouse or, or uh, someone like that. Uh, and, and so because you don't want to have this uncomfortable conversation, you don't confront. And, and in that case, not confronting that person is being untruthful. Uh, so, so, you know, we, we, we want to look at this um, definition um, from the standpoint of not bending the facts. Uh, so where can we go in Scripture to find this uh, mandate? Uh, I think Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25 is a good place to start. So it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Paul gives us two steps in this process to put off falsehood and to speak truthfully. Now, you might look at that on the surface and say, well, isn't that really the same thing? I mean, aren't we talking about the same thing there? Uh, but I think there's a, an important distinction for us to pick up on. Um, we have an incredible ability um, to 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 be false when it's to our benefit. Uh, it's, it's in our very nature um, to, to bend the facts. So, so we first have to understand this idea of falsehood and make sure that we're not being false 
and then we can kind of fully give ourselves to being truthful. So I really do um, think that it is a two-step process. Um, so, so how do we know if we're being false? I mean, uh, like we've said, that the human nature has this tremendous ability to kind of fake itself out, to self-deceive ourselves when it comes to our own intentions and our own motives. So, so how do we know if we're being false? Well, I came across a passage, and I want to share it with you, uh, from the book of John, and it's about Jesus, and it's actually Jesus' own words about himself. And, and, and take a look at this. Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does not, or whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. So here Jesus is actually speaking about himself, and he says that the person who is seeking God's glory is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Well, that, that's what we're after. That's what we want for ourselves. We want to be that person when we have this conversation that that is true of. So the question is, what's the key here? And I think it's the, the word glory. The word glory shows up in this passage, and, and I think this is what is at stake. So when you're in this situation, a quick question that you can ask yourself is this. Whose glory is at stake here? Is it my personal glory or is it God's glory? You see, if it's about my personal glory, then we're going to be severely tempted to bend the facts in our favor, in, in the favor of our view. Or we're going to be tempted not to have the conversation because we don't want the conflict. But if it's God's glory that's at stake, then I think we can move forward in a truthful manner. So uh, a quick question followed up by a quick prayer. Here's a prayer that, that I've prayed uh, in this situation, and I want to share it with you. It's from Psalm 139. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And now I'm going to turn it over to Wayne, and he's going to tell us about the letter H. Thank you. Good morning. I'll be speaking for, uh, on the letter H in the acronym THINK. Uh, well, the H stands for helpful. And in being helpful, we just want to define helpful for a minute. Well, it's the ability simply to improve a situation with any our advice, with our ideas, our tips, efforts, anything we can do to help people that may be under pressure. Well, how can we do this? We can do this by involving ourselves in other problems, but that's a question. Should we? Should we enter into someone else's uh, conflicts or problems? In obvious problems, some people don't see problems that we can see. 
it may take another point of view to help us. There's a story we're going to look at in Exodus chapter 18, and it deals with the life of Moses and Jethro. Jethro uh, is an example of uh, help from another uh, viewpoint. So who is Jethro? Jethro was a priest of Midian in the wilderness. He was also a guardian of Moses' wife and two sons. When uh, Moses went to confront Pharaoh in Egypt, it was was Jethro who took care of his uh, two sons and his wife. So in the story after the exodus from Egypt, Jethro goes out to meet Moses in the wilderness. And while they're out there, they have a reunion. They meet, they go into Moses' tent, they enjoy uh, some time together, they're sharing all of the good things that had happened. And what they had done is, um, it was a time to be grateful, to rejoice along the way. But the next day, Jethro observed something that was a problem. Moses sat to serve as a judge in the temple. I'm sorry, <laughs> the judge in the, in the desert. And for all the people, he was there for over a million people. They stood around him from morning from, till evening, and they gave all, he was giving all of his time, all of his energy, all of his life to them. So here's a chance to help. Should Jethro uh, step in? Well, he asks a question in verse 14 of chapter 18 of uh, of Exodus, what are you doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? Why do all the people stand around you? And Moses' answer was, well, I decide between the parties, and I teach them God's instruction. So Jethro brings a suggestion and a helpful idea. He suggests that you share the load among the people. You have them serve as judges at all times. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. Well, was Jethro helpful to Moses? Did his ideas bring any relief to the people? Well, verse 24 says that Moses listened to his uh, Moses listened to his uh, son-in-law and did everything he said. So, how does that apply to us? How do we enter into someone else's um, issue or conflict? In that moment, how do we speak? Jethro, as in Ephesians 4.29, gives us an insight. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And remember, Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth. Colossians tells us, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you might know how to answer everyone. I'm going to hand it off to Pastor Chris. Should be somewhere behind me. I is for inspiring. The letter I in the THINK acronym asks ask this question. Is what I'm going to say in this conversation that we're going to have, and the way that we have it, is it going to inspire someone? Are we going to inspire each other? Is it going to inspire the other person? Is it going to inspire me? Or empower us to do God's work? At the core of all of this, this building trust thing, this, 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 this that we're, we're working on, at the core of all of this is that we want to help people experience what God wants for them, which is always good. And so 
This I, is, is it going to inspire them? We came up with this. Inspiring is putting things in a proper perspective. When you're inspired, it's almost as if you put on a pair of glasses. You see things you hadn't seen before. It used to be fuzzy. You weren't sure what step to take. You weren't sure what to do. But now you can see clearly. And so you're ready to take action. Now, sometimes you can inspire, you can inspire from hate or victimhood. In other words, you're so mad, something has to happen. That's not what we're after. Or you can inspire from greed or self-pride or glory. Ah, it's so easy to do that. Man, you, you inspire people. You, you get them emotionally involved. Man, they're ready to go and they want to do something, but you have an ulterior motive. It's for you. You're going to literally sometimes make money off it. It's for you or some agenda you have. Or you can inspire from love. Inspiration that advances God's work in their lives and other people's lives. See, you're not primarily a feeling, but it is a feeling that leads to an action. It's not a know-all attitude. You're going to motivate, lead, direct, help someone take a helpful action. Remember, being someone who can be counted on is inspiring. Now, some conversations can weaken and discourage. That's what scares us about conflict. We're afraid that when we go into this conversation, what's going to come out of it is nothing but hurt and discouragement and heading in the wrong direction. So our goal is to ask, how can we be inspiring while we're doing this? Is that what, what do I do to be able to do that? So some conversations can weaken and discourage rather than strengthen and encourage. So we're asking, how do we determine if we're being pulled into fruitless conversations or inspiring conversations? Well, there's somebody in the Old Testament. We're going to take a look at his, what he did because he turned fruitless, meaningless, controversial speculation into an incredibly expiring event. It's the story of David and Goliath. What was happening was that the Israelites had gone to war with the Philistines. The Philistines were enemies of God, declared enemies of God. And they were, they were wanting to take over the Israelites, and they were going to war. And so they'd come to this valley, and one was on one, one side of the valley, and the other was on the other side of the valley. And then Goliath, he was a huge dude, probably eight foot six, maybe nine feet tall. He was a giant he came down, and as was a custom with armies sometimes, they would send out their best man, and they would say this, listen, if you can beat me, then we'll be slaves to you, but if I beat you, you're going to be slaves to me. So Goliath, every morning would do this. Every morning. They would get up, put on all their armor, come out to war. Goliath would walk down to the bottom of the valley and yell insults out to their God and out to their people while King Saul his generals, and David's brothers had meaningless talk. Well, they talked about all the issues, and they talked about what, what about this, and what's your theory on that, and, and, and they just were going on and on really about things they didn't know anything about and were against what was advancing God's work. So David shows up. The reason he shows up is his dad had said, David, I want you to take this food to your brothers. They're at war. Go encourage them. Bring them some food. So he shows up and he watches this happen. 
And the first inspiring thing he says is this. He asks this question. Who is this defying the armies of the living God? Whoa, that's inspiring right there. What did they just do? What did he just do? He just changed the perspective. He moved it from we always see is the giant. Wait a minute. Let's look at God. Let's look at who God is and that he's insulting God, not our God, the God of heaven. He then goes to the brothers, and the brother's like, what are you doing, and da-da-da-da, and so he, he says, no, I'm going I'm to go fight this guy. This is what I'm going to do, and, and, and the next inspiring thing he says is, David answered the challenge, the challenge of the meaningless talk of the giant, of Goliath. He says this, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. It is not by sword, or it's not by spear. That the Lord saves from the for the battle is the Lord's. That's inspiring. What did he just do? He just changed the perspective. This battle is not between you and me, Goliath. It's between you and God. I'm just here playing a part. And he will give all of you into our hands. Now that is a perspective changer. Followed up by a loud thump of Goliath hitting the ground. Kalechi, what do you have to say next? Thanks, Chris. Um, I'm going to be talking about the letter N, which stands for necessary. And in thinking about necessary, it's, it's, it's really about the movement from somebody should do something about this to I'm going to do something about this. It's that tug at our hearts that we often ignore. Now, we're living in some very turbulent, troubling times right now. But the Bible also touches on and shares stories about times that are just as troubling. In the book of Exodus, we see Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt and towards the promised land. But there was great disobedience and chaos as they uh, turned towards other religions, rejecting God as their savior. They were lured into improper and immoral practices and rituals. So they suffered the consequences of their disobedience, namely a plague that ran through their community. Somebody had to do something. Somebody had to step up. And here in the Bible, we also see someone who does just that. They step up when it is necessary, even if it is by themselves, even if it is extreme. So let's read. Then an Israelite man brought into the camp a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. The Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of the laser, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. Since he was as zealous for my honor among them as I am, I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. Now, are we saying that you should run a spear through the next person that you disagree with or anyone who's doing wrong? Absolutely not. Because what's important to understand in this passage is Phineas's position in this situation. You see, he was a leader in that church, in that community. He was a priest, a high-ranking official. So their welfare was his responsibility. And with 24,000 people dying, he knew he had to step up and do something. 
So what we can learn is do whatever you can from your position within your ability and within your rights. Phineas saw the suffering of his people, and he also saw the root cause of their suffering going unchecked. So he knew, once again, he had to do something. He didn't wait for somebody to tell him what to do or how to do it. He trusted in the fact that God had put him in a position to be able to do something about it, and so he did. So how do we know when it is necessary for us to do something? The Bible says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's case. In other words, help those who can't help themselves. Defend those who can't help themselves. But always speak and seek the truth. How does that look in conversation? Well, we have three steps. First step, whenever you're talking with someone, um, always work through this discussion in your own head or with God. If I don't check this behavior, or if I don't check this understanding, what harm can be done? Who or what is at risk? Is this person at risk? Step two, ask God, what can I do? What should I do? And third, and most importantly, do it. Because as James 4.17 reads, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So that tug at our heart is really the Holy Spirit calling us to action. It's our choice on whether we ignore it or act on it. Now for the letter K, which stands for kind, we have Robert here to teach us. So come on out, Robert. Thank you, Kalechi. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? It's great to see everybody. Everybody looks great. So as we work in through Think, um, do you ever wonder how we're going to do this? How is it going to happen? Well, one of the ways is deciding if we're going to do it. It's basically a yes or no answer. It's not maybe I'll think about it tomorrow, next, next week, next month. You have to decide. In Matthew 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the, the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Wow. You cannot serve both God and money. We do have to make a decision. We do want to be kind. Kind is defined as doing what's best for their heart. One more time. Kind is defined as doing what is best for their heart. You may ask yourself, whose heart? Could be your friends, your neighbor, your life group, your spouse, your kids. Um, I have this friend. His name is Gary Ellabush. This guy is so kind to me that he always tells me the truth no matter what. Reverse, refers to the Bible, speak of the Bible, and whenever he's direct, he doesn't have emotions. For myself, I, I, I believe that maybe for some of you, it may be hard to tell the truth, but I don't know why we, it's so hard to tell the truth. At the end, it's going to hurt someone, even yourself. I have a story when I was about eight years old. My uh, uncle came from Mexico. I have a few uncles. Um, I was, I was um, excited to see him. He was my favorite uncle. He asked me, do you want to learn how to eat spicy foods? I said, sure. I'm eight years old. You're my favorite uncle. Why not? He told me, chew fast and swallow slow. So what, guess what I did? I chew fast and swallow slow. In that very second, it felt like a fireball going inside my throat. I drank this glass of water. It didn't work. I went running to the bathroom to wash myself. It didn't work. I hear my mom yelling, drink milk, drink milk. I drank milk, and then I passed 
out after that. Um, I didn't really pass out. I just don't remember after that. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I think about it. I don't really talk about it too much because I don't like spicy food that much. But um, back then, it was not funny. D did that ever happen to you? Something? It's funny, but it's not really funny. It kind of hurt you. I don't think it hurting me, but it made me not like too much spicy food. Um, so I wish he would have told me the truth. In Romans 12, it says, 12.10, it says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. I think this passage says it all. As we work through think, we want to speak from truth. Speak while being considerate because our words will be impactful. And we do want to impact in a positive way. Matthew 7, 12 also says, so whatever you wish the others will do to you, also do to them. This is the law and the prophets. This is another, another puff, a tough one. We want to do what is best for their heart. Because you want this also for your heart as well. Being kind doesn't make it have to be weak. It could be really strong. It doesn't mean being kind that you said to Robert, you know, Robert, you had a bad day. It's okay. It's going to be all right. It's not going to be all right. A lie is going to hurt somebody. We want to be intentional. We want to be direct. We want to be stern. We want to do what is helpful. Let's be kind and apply things together. Thank you. And let's pass it back to Pastor. So who do you trust more than anyone? Who is it in your life that you have the kind of relationship that we've been talking about? I'm going to guess there's a lot of people in your life that you thought you had that relationship with. These are people that you called your people, your crew, your peeps. They were it. But you don't talk to them anymore. Because you face conflict and you found out you could not trust them. There's even more people that they were part of your crew and they're part of, and you still talk to them, but not about anything important. You, you stay your distance. There's conflict there, but it's conflict that can't be resolved. You, you, you're done trying, and you know you can't trust them. For many of you, your entire life, you don't have one person you can trust. There's, there's no one you've been able to find this for. And sometimes you wonder, maybe if it's you. Well, God wants to use conflict in our lives to help us build this kind of community right here at Skyline. There's two ways. There's maybe more than this, but there's at least two ways that God uses conflict and turns it into trust. He begins to build a wall brick by brick. The number one way is if you've gone to war together. If you have gone to war with someone and you have watched them be trustworthy and stick by God's word and do what was best for the other person, no matter what it, talked, what it cost them, you're like, I want that guy. Now, you may not trust them for everything, but you trust them that if you go to war, if I'm going to war, I want that person. I have a number of people like that in my life. I've been through the war with them. I know I can trust them. The second one is when you actually have a conflict with a person and you walk it through. I have a lot of people like that too. My wife, Lori, 
I have some, some really good friends in Michigan. I have some people in this church. There's one guy in particular. His name is Dan DeKaiser. He, he just moved recently. Many of you know him. But early on in our church, Dan and I had a conflict that we had to work through. There was something that happened in our church. It was actually a conflict between me and somebody else in our church. And I had done something wrong. We had to work through all of that. And there were pieces where I, I was sure of what the Bible said and I was sure we needed to be careful that we took these steps. And he looked at it from a different perspective. And I remember what that was like. I remember how scary that was to walk into that conversation. You see, Dan, he's really smart. He's really wise. And he's pretty intimidating. I, I could re remember being afraid that I would get run over. Also being afraid that maybe I would come off too harsh but something beautiful happened. We got together, and the Word of God was the center. And we practiced what we're talking about today. We practiced coming together and saying, listen, we are both committed to what God has to say first. And we would tell, stories of, tell each other's story, and then we would work through, think, and what the Bible had to say. And I'm going to tell you something. When I need someone to tell me the truth, he's the man I call. When I am in trouble, I know I can call him. We trust each other. Now listen, that's exactly what God wants to do in our church. So what are you going to do with this? You see, we can have a bunch of relationships. You can have two, three, four, five people that you know you're tr you can trust in a group of people you know you can trust. How does that happen? It's when you take what we've talked about today, and it's more than information. It's something you go, I'm, I'm going to commit to this. This is how I'm going to interact with my spouse from now on. I'm going to practice this. I'm going to get good at this. This is how I'm going to interact with my children. This is how I'm going to interact with my life group. This is how I'm going to interact with people at work. This is how I'm going to interact with people at church that I may end up in a conflict with. I'm not going to run away from it. I'm not going to pound my fist and confront it. We're going to grow through it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this beautiful day we've had today. With each man coming and bringing God's word and your word being so comforting, so truthful, so trustworthy. And so, Lord, I pray for our church that this spreads, that, that each of us, we just keep practicing this with each other to where it becomes a lifestyle because we know the byproduct. We know the fruit. It means that Skyline will be the safest place on earth. And that's what we want. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.